Timothy chapter 1 and verse 17. Now unto the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. And let the church say amen. amen. Lord, we ask God that you would bless the word today. Speak to our hearts. Lord, quicken to our heart and mind. The honor that we deserve to give you, Lord, and that you deserve to receive. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, shake a few hands. Greet someone as you're being seated. Praise the Lord. And you may be seated. I want to speak to you this morning on the thought to honor God. To honor God. And today I want to explore what it means to honor the Lord. I was thinking as I drove to church this morning and I observed that there was a lot of early morning Sunday morning traffic. People coming and going everywhere on a Sunday morning. Uh, and by looking at the, the cars and the people, I could see that their destination uh, of favor was not church. They had things on top of their cars. They were going somewhere to do things and stuff. And the way they were dressed and the way they were, uh, the way they were I knew that church was not their, their probable destination. And so uh, I thought about what it meant for those of us who chose uh, this beautiful Sunday morning, when we could be doing so many other things, for those of us who chose to come to God's house, what does that mean? What, what does it mean? Well, it means that we are honoring God by doing this, by choosing this, instead of choosing something else that, that uh, you know, you might think, well, that would be more fun to do, uh, or whatever, but... We came here today collectively to give, God, to give honor and praise to the Lord. And God is no respecter of persons and he delights in our attention. And, and some people pray very quietly and sing very quietly. And other people pray loudly and, and worship boisterously. God doesn't care how it's done so long as we are attempting to honor him out of our heart. That's how our heart feels. It's what our heart speaks to God. It's what it says to God. And what comes out of the heart and the thought and the mind, uh, uh, focusing on God is, is the most important thing about that. And, and it is important. Now, <clears throat> unlike most words, whose definitions are usually very simple and straightforward, honor is a difficult word to get a hold of. To get your mind around. You may think you know what honor means, but it's really, it's a conceptual word, and it's a, it has multiple meanings. It has a, it's many-layered in its meanings. If you were struggling to translate honor from English into any other language, in order to get it right, you would have to really know what it is that you're defining. So honor has many 
uh, variations of thought and meaning. It, it means honesty, fairness, or integrity in one's beliefs or actions. And so therefore, when we use it in that context, we may speak of so-and-so as a person of honor because they, uh, they manifest, they exemplify these qualities, fairness, integrity, and honesty. But it also means a source of credit or distinction. So in that context, we would speak that so, such and such was an honor to their family or were, was an honor to their church or was an honor to uh, their, their work or their job, uh, how they carried that out. So that's another way that honor is meant. Thirdly, it means high respect as for worth or merit or rank. So in this uh, meaning, we are coming closer to uh, what we think of when we talk about honoring God. What does it mean to honor God? Uh, he is someone to be held in honor. So where it speaks of God, we think of him in high respect. He is far worthy and above all the merit that we could give him because he is God. And so when we talk of that sense of honor, we're getting more into that area or field where we're speaking of God. But there are still other ways that honor is to be understood. Honor is uh, such respect as is manifested, such as a, a memorial. When you go to the cemetery, you will see gravestones, headstones placed there. They're placed there as a memorial to honor uh, the, the memory of the dearly departed so that we don't forget those people, so that generations from now, after we're gone and we got a headstone, those people are not forgotten. I bike ride uh, through our local cemetery and <clears throat> I always <clears throat> glance over at the oldest section of the cemetery, which is very interesting to me. Those headstones go back to the 1700s and the 1800s. And you look over there and you see these old weathered stones. Some of them are no longer in place. Their place has been lost. They got thrown <coughs> over by frost or weather or something. And, and moved around and placed over up against a tree uh, because no one knows really where they, they were. But I look back and it's like looking back in time. You read some of those names. You can, they're barely legible because time and weather has worn the <coughs> stone down and it's almost so plain you can't read them. But if you see a name and you see a date, it speaks to you. That person was honored. And to this day, we can look and see that that was, a, that was somebody. They were there. They lived. They lived X amount of years. That was a man. It was a woman. Or it was a child. Or it was a husband. Or it was a wife. But it was something we can look at and see. That was honor. It was placed there to honor. So in that sense, <clears throat> showing us, doing, doing things that manifest honor to God. I was uh, talking to a young visitor that came a few weeks ago, and uh, I went to his sandwich shop to buy a sandwich, and he asked me, he says, why do you guys all dress up? You know, why does everybody dress up when they come to church? And it doesn't really matter how you come. I mean, you can come in your golf clothes for all I care. It, it doesn't matter. What I care about is that you're here. <laughs> and I think that's what God cares about, too, is that you're here. But for, for those of us that are used to coming to church and we... And we take out something that we've reserved basically for, you know, this, this occasion. We want to dress nicely. Uh, that's, that's just 
that's our little thing. That's, that's our own personal, and it, nobody's being told you have to do this at all, but it's our own little way of just saying, this is what I think. Uh, when I go to church, I want to do this because I want to uh, put on my best and I want to honor God. That's my way of showing it. it it's, it's unique to each one of us. Not required, it's not mandatory, but it's something that, that we do. Amen, some of us. And uh, it's fine if you don't. Uh, Another way that honor is to be understood is high public esteem or fame or glory. So when we say of someone, they have earned their position of honor, uh, they have a degree of honor, they've, they've obtained honor, they've, they've done something that moved them into the category of, of, of everyone thinking that that person is someone to be honored. But we're not done with honor yet. It still has other meanings. I told you this is a difficult conceptual word that was multi-layered. It is also the privilege of being associated with or receiving favor from a respected person, group, or organization. Uh, we would speak of it in this manner. Uh, I had the honor or I had the distinction of serving on a prize jury or I have the, I have the honor of introducing this evening's speaker. So it's, it's, a, it's honor by association. It's, uh, I, am, I am connected to something of honor, something deemed worthy of honor. And so I have the honor of being uh, this association. And so uh, to, to, you know, minister, ministers, and, you know, ministers are sometimes called reverend. Reverend, there's nothing in the Bible that says you have to call a pastor or a preacher reverend, but a long time ago, uh, uh, to distinguish that person as being associated with God, uh, they were given a title reverend, similarly to the same way that a doctor was a, awarded a title doctor and a plumber was awarded the title plumber. <laughs> and if he was a good plumber, master plumber. And if you think that being a plumber has no honor or glory, Wait till you call one to your house and get the bill. <laughs> when they hand you that bill, you will suddenly respect them. <laughs> Praise God. Still, honor has another meaning. And usually honors evidence of special ceremony or decoration, a scroll or a title or a high rank or dignity or distinction. And in this case, uh, we speak of things like military honors or political honors. <clears throat> so in the military, there's a whole system, a whole means of, of honoring service members uh, who have distinguished themselves and they get ribbons and medals and pins and badges, the which only they know what they mean. <laughs> you have to be on the inside, really, to understand what that all means. But... If you're on the inside and you see that, and you see that, that medal, you know that meant something. And uh, that's, that's an honor that someone received. <clears throat> and so, uh, uh, in connection with the latter, uh, we refer to the United States Medal of Honor. The U.S. has a Medal of Honor. And the Medal of Honor is the United States' highest military honor. It's awarded for personal acts of valor above and beyond the call of duty. And it's awarded by the President of the United States in the name of the U.S. Congress to uh, U.S. military personnel only. Now there are three versions of this medal. 
One's for the Army, one for the Navy, one for the Air Force. And personnel of the Marine Corps and the Coast Guard would receive the Navy uh, Medal of Honor because they are officially in the Naval, Naval branch of the service. This medal was created in 1861, early in the American Civil War, and it was designed to give recognition to servicemen who had distinguished themselves conspicuously by gallantry and intrepidity. Try saying that five times over. <laughs> in combat with an enemy of the United States. And according to the Medal of Honor Historical Society of the United States, listen to this, in all the wars and all the fighting the United States has done in over 200 years, only 3,512 medals of honor have been given, have been awarded to nation soldiers, sailors, and airmen, Marines, Coast Guardmen. Uh, and so with, with just less than half of them having been awarded for actions that took place during the four years of the Civil War period. This medal is usually presented by the president uh, in a formal ceremony at the White House, and it's meant to, to express and represent the gratitude of the American people. And uh, posthumous uh, uh, awards, which most of them are, uh, are made primary to the uh, primary next of kin. Uh, so uh, to honor the Medal of Honor of the United States in 1990, Congress designated March the 25th as National Medal of Honor Day. How many of you knew that we had a National Medal of Honor Day which is meant to honor the Medal of Honor. So that's honor on top of honor. Uh, and so due to its prestige and status, the Medal of Honor is afforded special protection under the United States law against any unauthorized adornment, sale, or manufacture, which includes any associated ribbon or badge. So it's illegal to get yourself a counterfeit Medal of Honor. It's illegal. You can get in trouble. I've heard stories recently of, of people who have found medals of honor. Maybe they went to an auction, bought a cigar box full of junk and stuff, and dug through it, and inside that was a medal of honor. And uh, these people have done the research to find out who that was awarded to and locate the surviving family and restore that medal of honor back to that family. That's someone who really understands the value of that medal, of whom there are only about 3,500 of them in the world. So that's an important honor. You see how powerful, I'm trying to make the point to show you how powerful and distinguishing it is to honor something, to honor something. Now, we honor military people, alive or deceased, who have earned this, and it comes with great honor. And they're worthy of that honor. They have merited that. They have distinguished themselves in such a way that that is fitting and deserving. Yet they're only people. They're only mortal as you and I. But to him that is invisible, immortal, and eternal, to be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Hallelujah. There's somebody higher than anyone who gets a medal of honor. Higher than anyone in the whole of human humanity, in the whole of the planet of the earth. No matter what they have done to 
uh, elevate themselves and distinguish themselves in honor and in the favor of all the entirety of the human race, no matter what they have done, it falls far short of the one who is immortal, invisible, and internal, who made all of this and put it all together. He is worthy of something called honor and respect. Hallelujah. This week, the Donald made another of his now famous gaffes. You may have heard about how he referred to uh, war hero Senator McCain uh, in a sort of a deprecatory or insulting fashion. When someone asked him, did he regard Senator McCain as a war hero, uh, he, he said to the effect that, uh, why should we think of captured soldiers or servicemen as war heroes? He preferred his war heroes to remain uncaptured. I get that point, but you, when your airplane is shot from the sky, and you parachute in enemy territory, you didn't just throw up your hands and quit and surrender. Uh, I mean, there are certain circumstances where, uh, you know, where capture is, is, it happens, it's reasonable, it's unexpected and it happens, and you, what do you want him to do? Just go out there and get himself shot, refuse uh, to surrender and get himself shot so that you can call him a war hero? Well, I, you know, come on. Donald, you, you, you need to just close your trap a little bit. <laughs> um, so that's very cavalier from someone who, in my, to my, in my opinion and to my knowledge, never, never served his country. That's a very cavalier thing to say about someone who, uh, who you know, due to the circumstances, deserves the honor that he has received. So... To extend that honor out, we have set aside Memorial Day and we have set aside Veterans Day for the very specific purpose of honoring, first of all, those that have fallen in battle or have deceased who were serving our country. And finally, those veterans who are still alive and with us who at some point in their career or still presently are serving their country, we have set aside times and days to distinguish honor to them. So we're speaking of, of honor and uh, what it means to honor things. But to extend that out for us as Christians and people of God, to honor God, what does it mean to honor God? Um, honor is, is really something that, that is kind of, it's, these days I think that it's fallen on hard times. Honor, the, the very fact of honor, I believe, has fallen on hard times. In fact, I think what most people actually do is what I would call honor light. Honor light. We're on an honor diet. Uh, we, you know, everything's first name basis. Whereas they used to call pastors reverends, now they like to call them by their first name. Well, you know, what's his first name? What's your first name? I want to call you by your first name. Well, it's okay. I do have a first name. Uh, it's all right. But, uh, you know, when you say pastor, you're really... You're really putting honor between you and the man who serves God and the God he serves, and you're keeping your relationship in that, in that perspective. That is the perspective. You know, he's not your fishing buddy. He's not your auto mechanic. Uh, he's not your serviceman or your, you know. 
he's your, he's your pastor. He's your spiritual leader. And, and when you think of him and relate to him, you're doing it in the context that, rem, that you must remind yourself that he is given a duty. The Bible says, uh, Hebrews, uh, in the book of Hebrews, to submit yourself to those that have the rule over you or those that are in authority over you uh, because they must give an account of you to God. So um, I'm in a very ticklish spot here. I'm, I'm in a difficult place, people, because uh, if you fail, God's going to ask me why you failed. And when I call you on the phone and ask you where you have been when you're not in church and you don't tell me where you've been and you refuse to tell me where you've been, how does that respect or honor the man who's now, whose neck is on the chopping block and with God and... I have to say to God, I don't know where they are. They won't tell me where they are. They're not accountable to me. So that's honor light, right? That's honor light. I'm just being honest with you. I'm, I'm telling you the, that's, that's the plain truth of it. I have a job to do. I have a job to do. I have a job to do. And you can help me or you can, you can not help me. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll get through it. All right. But if you don't help me, help yourself and you lose out with God, you don't really have anyone to blame but yourself because you didn't honor. So, so there's honor there. It's really not about honoring me. It's not about, I'd rather go fishing. I'd rather go fishing. I'd rather go camping. I'd rather go build a cigar box guitar. But, amen, I have to do this. That's my job. I have to do it. So when I call you to account for yourself why you're not in church, why you're not in church. It's not about me. It's about what I have to say to God and what you need to do so that you can stay safe. Let's give God a hand praise. Y'all are getting quiet on me. Y'all are getting quiet. You're starting to sound like, well, I'm going to say. <laughs> praise God. Praise God. Now, from the Bible, we learn that God issued mankind many injunctions. Early on. And when God speaks, everyone should listen. God told Abraham not to eat certain things, and he did. God told Noah to be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. God told Abraham to disassociate himself with everyone else, his family and his friends and his homeland, and search for God just, and worship God only. And then, for the very first time in history, God told Moses 10 things. Actually, he told him more than 10 things. There's like 612 different laws or writings of Moses. But God didn't just tell Moses the Ten Commandments. God wrote them. He inscribed them on tables of stone. If we believe the word of God, God wrote them with his own finger. Now, that's important. If, it, if I came down off of a mountain after 40 days and you hadn't seen me and I told you God told me all this stuff, would you believe me? Well, Maybe. Maybe. But when he came down with it written in stone, you know, and, and, and in a language nobody could read, you know, God wrote it. You know, they, they had to believe, they had to believe that God uh, told them those, those things. Now, you can find the Ten Commandments for yourself in Exodus, the 20th chapter. I will not take the time to turn there and read them all, but I will highlight all of them for you. Uh, and essentially what they come down to is rule number one, 
You are not to have any other gods but God. No other God before me. And of course, if you don't have any before, you shouldn't have any after either. Stands uh, to reason. So that he's God alone. There's no other God. Number two is that you're not to have any image or idol representing anything that can be worshipped, prayed to, or bound da- bowed down to. And God is very specific about that. So God is the immortal, the eternal, and the invisible. He is invisible. So we can't see him. We don't know what he looks like. He has not appeared to anybody. And if we make any representation of him that is visible and say it's him and we pray in front of it or bow down and worship to it, this is something that God expressly forbade uh, in the word of God. And number three, we are not to take God's name in vain. So, ooh, you know, uh, how many of you uh, use the expression OMG all the time? OMG. Are you praying? <laughs> people who really understand what these mean, this means, and I refer now to, to Jewish people, Orthodox people, who study these things and respect them, won't ever say the name. Won't say. They won't even spell. They use a G dash D. And that isn't his name. It's just who he is. But they won't even spell it. Never mind using, you know, uh, the tetragrammaton, JHV8, from which we get Jehovah. So that's how very careful they were about taking the name of God in vain. In fact, that tradition was so strong that the scribes of the Bible, when they wrote on the parchments or the scrolls, when they wrote on the scrolls, when it came time to write Lord in the Bible, they took a ritual bath. They got a fresh bottle of ink. They sharpened a fresh quill and they wrote Lord in the Bible. Now, if they misspelled a word in the Old Testament as they were writing it, they could take a penknife and cut that leather and that word out and sew a new little piece of leather in there and write that word again correctly spelled. And correct spelling was important. And, and, the why, and the why it was important was because at the end of their job of transcribing the book that they were copying into a new book, at the end of it, they had to count every word in the manuscript, forwards and backwards. And word number 257 forward had better be the same word as number 563 backward. It had to be the same word in the same place. Not only did they not count the words, but they counted all the letters. And that's why the spelling was important. They counted all the letters and the letters likewise had to be in the same place. That's one reason why you can trust the Bible to be the word of God and not the word of men. This was done thousands of years ago. And the, early, and the earliest copies we have of ancient manuscripts go back to the Dead Sea Scrolls, which were within a hundred years of the time of Christ. The newly discovered Dead Sea Scrolls are that old. And in the 1940s or 50s when they were discovered, they, they, uh, it, 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 it made history because up until then, our oldest manuscripts 
uh, were only about seven or 800 years old, so they'd been copied over so many times. So we go back that further. And what they found out when they found the book of Isaiah, that it was intact, it was complete with all 66 chapters. Despite the fact that German anti-Christian, anti-Bible apologists had said there were four Isaiahs, not one, and the, the original book of Isaiah was only 60 chapters long, and the other six had been added by someone else later on, that copy found within 100 years dating to the time of Christ preserves the same book of Isaiah as you have in your Bible today. That's one reason why you can trust the Word of God to be accurate. So I said all that to talk about not taking the name of the Lord in vain. And in this world today, is there honor for the name of God? How many times in a given day can you hear somebody use the name of God or Christ blasphemously, drag it through the mud, stamp on it, trample it with their language, with their meaning, with all that goes in that. There is, there is no respect there, see? It's, it's not honoring God. Uh, the fourth law was the Sabbath day, to honor God with the Sabbath day and to keep it holy. And the point not being so much that it was the seventh day, but that it was a day of rest and spiritual equilibrium. A day when it was meant to set this day aside from all your business and labor and all your life priorities. This is a day that you're to set aside and think about God. Once again, respect light in our world today. I can, some, some of you are old enough to remember when we had these, uh, I want to call them blue laws or Sunday laws, where uh, you couldn't go to a mall and find it open on Sunday. You couldn't go to a store and find it open on Sunday. You could, and maybe a few restaurants would be open, but most people did not work on Sunday. There were no jobs for them. There was nothing available. But today, you try to get out of working on Sunday so you can be in church and you wind up losing your job. Despite the fact that they got posters on the wall there that says that they cannot do anything to you uh, that messes with your religion. And it's part of your religion to honor God with a day of worship. So you go to the house of the Lord on the day of worship. All right, I got to hurry. Honor your father and mother. Commandment number five. Commandment number six, do not kill. Commandment number seven, do not commit adultery. Commandment number eight, do not steal. Number nine, do not bear false witness. And number 10, do not covet or desire what belongs to somebody else. Now, these are important uh, commandments, and they really come out of something that could be defined and called the moral law of God. And uh, the basic of the thought of this moral law of God is that it is universal to human understanding. <clears throat> Long before there was the Ten Commandments, people, humanity, governments, People, societies knew it was wrong to kill people, to murder people. It was wrong. They knew that. They knew it was wrong to commit adultery on your spouse. So they had a tradition of marriage and they knew it was wrong to commit adultery on your spouse. Long before there was ever a law from God or any other kind of law sanctioned by modern law or jurisprudence, they knew certain things were right or wrong. How did they know that? How do they know that? It's instinctive within us from the Creator, and it was meant to point us to God. Something we call a conscience that gives us a voice to God. Listen, even a serial killer knows it's wrong to kill. They just experience no remorse for it. 
But there's something within us that directs us to God. And it's about honoring God. And it points to God. Now Jesus further uh, clarified uh, these uh, Ten Commandments in Matthew, the 22nd chapter, <clears throat> verses 36 through 40. Um, all right. <clears throat> Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. The second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophet. So Jesus took the Ten Commandments and he essentially subdivided them into two categories which is absolutely true. All of these 10 are referring to two basic things. The obligations we have to God, to, to honor Him, to love Him, with all of our heart, with all of our mind, with all of our soul. That is, to honor God. What does it mean to do that? To honor God with all our heart, all our mind, all our soul. Well, you've got to figure that out. It's not up to me to define that. It's, it's for you to explore it and to discover it and to find out what it means. What does it mean for me to respect God and honor God and show Him that this? And, and some of us may, may go one way with it and some may go uh, this way with it. But, you know, we're doing something. We're doing something. Do anything. Do anything to show that you respect and honor God. That's a step forward in the direction we need to head. And, the, and, the, and so the second one was to honor, uh, to honor or to respect, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Again, that goes back to the moral law that comes from God is, is that, uh, you know, you could say, well, <clears throat> if I was the guy sending airplanes into the Twin Towers, taking thousands of lives, I could think I was right to do it based on what I thought at the moment. But for all the rest of us, we know that was wrong, 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 right? And if the table had been reversed and we had done to them first what they did to us, they would have thought it's wrong, 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 wrong. So instinctively in us is the idea that we need to do to others as we would have them do to us. That's that moral law, an equivalent that points back to God, and, and that's what Jesus is talking about here. But in reality, every one of these ten, every one, is about showing respect and honor. We're either showing respect and honor to God, or we're respecting and we're, we're honoring other people the way we would want to be respected and honored. So all Ten Commandments is about respect and honor. And I can say this unequivocally that when humanity steps out of the parameters of respect and honor, whether it be to God, would we, if you don't believe there's a God, then you don't, think, you don't believe that there's any answering to God or any moral consequence for anything you do. Therefore, you can do whatever you want to do. And you step over that line further and you start doing it to other people. And then you, you see we have breakdown of society. We have evil coming into the world when people do not honor and respect and before we can really honor and respect other people, the foundation for that is to honor and respect the Creator. Because here's the, here's the situation. If you don't believe in a Creator, if you don't believe in God, if you, if you think that this just all is 
by a great big cosmic accident, that we're just a big accident, then in reality, you don't owe anybody any explanation for anything you want to do. You, you ought to be able to do anything you want to do because you're no better than the monkeys that are in the trees or the dogs that are roaming the neighborhood. You're no better than any of them. You should just be able to have your way with, because that's life. It's just an accident. Nothing matters. So the foundation of what we as humans consider right behavior, correct behavior, and moral behavior, really comes back to having an understanding that's greater than all of us. I will, got a lot more to talk about, but I must hasten to a conclusion. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar is a lesson in a proud, in a proud man, and a proud king. We, you can find that story in the book of Daniel, the fourth chapter. And, you know, it's an amazing thing how God used um, Nebuchadnezzar. He was a, he was a pagan king, uh, and, and Babylon was the superpower of the day. It was the empire that controlled and ruled the world, and they did not believe in God. Nebuchadnezzar did not believe in God. Nebuchadnezzar, at the height of his kingdom and powers and glory, had armies that controlled the world. He controlled and influenced Egypt, all of the Middle East, and all of the known world at that time. Rome and those in Greek and Rome, Greece and Rome had not arisen to power yet. So he was the superpower of the world. And all power was deposited in one man, the king. He was a total despot. If he said, off with your head, there was no arguing with that. And so when you get that kind of power, you kind of really think that you're the be-all and the end-all of everything. And... Uh, and, and God caused Israel, his own people, that he, that he had a special relationship with, to be submitted to the control of this man. And we can read this story of Daniel, and it's a very interesting story there, but there was one part of that whole scenario where, where God tells Nebuchadnezzar something. He, he warns him about his pride. And, you know, the, here's the thing, is that God can use us, but the, we should never let that get to our head, that we got used by God, because, you know, whatever he puts up, he can take down. And so God used Nebuchadnezzar to discipline his people, and the positive that came out of that is that from that point of Babylonian captivity, Israel forever afterwards honored and respected God. That's when synagogues were created, rabbis were, were created, and, uh, and Pharisees came out of that, and the whole Orthodox Jewish business came out of Babylon. It all came out of Babylon. That's when they learned that there was only one God, and they should honor and respect him. But Nebuchadnezzar got the big head, and one day he got lifted up, and he said, look at this great kingdom I've built. All this glory of this kingdom is all to the honor of my own hands, my own work. And the Bible says in that hour, in that same hour, he went insane. He went completely bonkers, nuts, off of his rocker. He was the king. They couldn't lock him up in jail or in the madhouse. Uh, so they, they created a courtyard out there. And since he wouldn't come in, they created a courtyard out there and let him live outside. And the Bible said he, let out, he ate grass and he lived outside and his hair grew and his, uh, like eagle's feathers and his nails grew like eagle's talons. And for seven years, he roamed that, that wilderness courtyard out of his ever-loving mind. And we see his testimony. It was presented and passed as a royal decree. 
And Daniel has copied the words from that royal decree of Nebuchadnezzar in the book of Daniel chapter 4, verse 34. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up my eyes to heaven, and my understanding returned to me, and I blessed the Most High. And I praised and honored him that liveth forever and ever, whose dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom from generation to generation. And all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing, and he doeth according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth and none can stay his hand or say unto him, What doest thou? At the same day my reason returned to me and for the glory of my kingdom and my honor and brightness returned to me and my counselors and my Lord sought unto me and I was established in my kingdom and excellent majesty was added unto me. And now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise, I love this, coming out of the mouth of a pagan heathen who thought he was God, as this word, these words, I, Nebuchadnezzar, and he wrote it. He wrote it in stone. He wrote it on parchment. He sent it all over the kingdom. This is what he said. I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, all whose works are truth, his ways, judgment, and those that walk in pride, he is able to obey. So I'm going to ask you to stand. I've got to bring this to a close. Hallelujah. I've got to bring this to a close. If a pagan, heathen king could be made to express that thought to God, how much more ought his own people who love him, who confess his name, who, who disciple themselves from the word of God and live a discipled life uh, as a measure of honor and respect, how much more is it meaningful that we honor God, that we honor God? And in fact, those people who attend church in honor to God are among Americans, America's last bastions in a society that has largely turned atheistic or agnostic and have become unbelievers. They're God's last bastion. I want to tell you, it doesn't matter whether they're in this church, but anyone this morning who is in any church in America has this on the same side as me and you. They have this to say. They have come there to do their duty to respect and to honor God. To respect and to honor God. And honor is honor. It means something. It's worthy of something. Can you say amen? Amen, amen, amen. amen. Pharaoh was another very proud king, remember? And God says to Moses over and over again, God says to Moses, I, I will be honored on Pharaoh. He says it repeatedly. I will be honored on Pharaoh. God wants honor. Isaiah was revealed from God this sad expression. Isaiah 29 and 13. Now we'll close with this. Wherefore the Lord said, For as much as this people draw near to me with their mouth and with their lips do honor me, but have, not re but have removed their heart far from me, and their fear toward me is taught of the precept of men. God had an issue with Israel. He told it to his prophet Isaiah. He says, They honor me with their lips, but their heart's not in it. Their heart is not in it. They have removed their heart. I don't come to church to see who is making a fool of themselves worshiping or to laugh at them if they are. 
In fact, if they want to make a greater fool of themselves worshiping God, I'm going to get behind them like David, who wanted to worship God, and his wife criticized him for it. I don't want to be his wife. I want to be David. I want to end up like David, not his wife. Amen. She didn't want God to be praised and worshipped. David said, I don't care what anybody thinks. This is what, this is what we do. This is the way we roll here. Woo-hoo! And you may think it's inappropriate to do that in the house of God, but does God think so? Does he care so long as he knows that it's from the heart? It is coming from the heart, praise and worship. I don't want to just say it with my lips. I want to have my heart in it. And you don't have to do that to count. So long as what you say out of your lips, so long as what you say out of your lips matches what you feel in your heart. You don't have to do all that to count. Amen. God hears it the same one way as the other. But we do not need to have our fear taught us of men. If it's only about respect because it's a tradition, it's a, we've been traditionally trained to respect, that's, that's a precept that's taught of men. And, 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 and even though it's important that, that, that we respect that, yet there's a greater respect. The, the greater respect comes out of our own understanding and our own relationship and our own feelings about God. God is not so far away that I can't feel him or feel after him or have feelings about him. And if I can have feelings about anything, if I can have feelings about anyone, I ought to have some feelings about God. And it ought to be appropriate to express them. Let's give God a big hand praise. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. You got a song? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. All right. Let's, let's, you got a song? No. <laughs> All right.